Welcome to the Neurodiverse Toolbox with Sheila Kieschlin and Paige Kieschlin. Good morning, Paige. Good morning. Paige and I are really lucky this morning. We're going to have, we have a guest, um, Amy, Amy Myland, who runs Front Range Hippotherapy, um, where Paige's sister has been going for a very long time years, <laughs> um, which is absolutely amazing. So, um, Amy, why don't you give us a like two to three minute bio on yourself? Sure. Yes. My name is Amy Mylan, and I am a physical therapist. Uh, I graduated from PT school back in 1991. So I've been doing this for some time and um, started doing my work as a physical therapist in adult neuro rehabilitation. Um, but at some point realized that I wanted to combine my passion around horses and animals and combine that with my love of working with clients and, and on the neuro spectrum. So I became certified to do hippotherapy right around the same time as I had my second child in 1990. Well, 2001, I was working for um, Colorado Therapeutic Riding Center as a volunteer. And one of their therapists asked me if I'd like to take her caseload <laughs> while she was taking a vacation. So um, I took the opportunity to go get my credentials um, which took me, uh, I don't know, the better part of that summer and then started working um, with the caseload there. I probably stayed with um, Colorado Therapeutic Writing Center for about five years and then left to open my own place. And that was in 2006. Well, so Alexis must have been like one of your first. One of my first clients at my own place. Yes, for sure. That's, that's amazing. We were just there yesterday. We had a lovely time. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so we, um, we ask everybody like the same little like intro questions for people to get to know um, sure. our guests, which aren't always, um, which are not your typical intro questions. So um, Paige, sure. you want to do that? Okay. First question. What is something you can't go a day without doing? And I thought about this because I, you know, I was talking with you guys a little bit about some of the questions you might ask. And when I saw that this was one of your questions, it's a funny thing because the thing that I really cannot go a day without doing is drinking coffee, um, which okay. sounds crazy, but it is true. Um, I really do. I can't, I cannot have a good morning without having coffee. So um, most of the days I like to take it out onto the front porch. So I get a little bit of fresh air. I get to hang out with my mom who lives with me. She's 83 and um, we get to kind of connect a little bit in that way. But if it's a really crappy day, we just do it over the kitchen table. Right. Well, you, you live in a beautiful area. I would go out on the front porch all the time. If I lived yeah, in your house irresistible. today, especially today is divine out there. If I would go out there right now, if they weren't out there talking. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what habit have you found that helps your brain the most? I think making lists like written lists and or typed lists. So when I need to remember something rather than kind of storing that in my brain and, and relying on my brain to recall what I need to remember <laughs> much easier for me to set up a series of lists. And I have an iPhone and it has a little reminders app and I use it consistently daily. Nice. Helps me a lot. 
Yeah. The act of writing is really um, amazing how many clients of mine that that helps. Yeah. Yeah. That, Physically that writing connection. Great. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have like 25 notebooks because I like them all. And then there's like inevitably one in one corner of the room and one in my room upstairs and one in my office. So the physical note writing is great. And then also can be devastating because I can forget where my notebook is. So it's a lot easier for me to have everything on my phone. I I I tend to be a little scared. I I also use a notebook, but I have like just the one at a time. Good plan. And they're dated, (laughs) right? So this one, this one I just made, this is for October, November, right? Well, um, I mean, your life is organization, so it makes sense. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last question, uh, what are you excited about today? That's a great question. My mom and I, yesterday was my birthday, and oh. I got um, tickets from her to go see the Broadway show Come From Away, which is playing right now in Boulder, and sorry, in Denver, at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. So we're going to go see a show. Ooh. That's awesome. Happy belated yeah. birthday. I Thank you. Absolutely love to give tickets as birthday presents or like memberships to like museums or I don't know, some kind of experience. I think that's a great birthday gift. Um or a Christmas gift or whatever. Um so a lot of people probably don't know what hypotherapy is. I know when I tell people Alexis does it, I get a lot of what? yeah <laughs> what's a hippo how is she on a, a hippo, hippo. <laughs> with hippos. right so why don't we just start with that most basic question tell us sure. what it is so hippotherapy is derived from a greek word and the um the word is hippo which means horse um in greek so hippotherapy essentially translates to horse therapy um and it is very specifically a therapeutic practice it's not um the same as just equine facilitated um, um, therapeutic riding, for instance. It's not like teaching the sport of riding to um, a rider with special needs or other needs. I would say it's more specific to physical, occupational, and speech therapy that um, is performed in a kind of a controlled setting with a group of people <laughs> and um, hippotherapy um, uses the horse as our primary therapeutic tool and uses the horse and their movement in a way that will hopefully elicit the response from our clients that we're looking for, whether that be a physical response, a physiological response, an emotional or cognitive response, or some kind of other you know, sensory or emotional or behavioral regulation. Awesome. So yeah. different than therapeutic writing. Yeah. Therapeutic writing is, um, is also a beautiful um, outlet for folks who have special needs, but it is definitely teaching the sport of writing to those people in as much as it can be taught, um, depending on what the level of um, problem or difficulty is, and also um, usually uses some kinds of adaptive equipment so that the client can learn how to, for instance, um, rein a horse or um, be able to stop them or turn them, So, or specialized saddles. And while we do use some adaptive equipment in hippotherapy, primarily we're, we're helping clients with just a pad and a surcingle so that they can actually feel that movement. Um, of the horse. Hold on a second. I'm getting a call here. 
there. Hopefully that's ended. Sorry. No worries. They, can feel, they can feel that movement uh, more directly through their, their pelvis and spine. They can also feel the warmth of the horse through the pad. And when we use things like saddles or, um, you know, kind of elevated seats away from the horse, it's nice to be able to ride, but it, you don't feel that same kind of horse connection. Right. Um, so the goal of therapeutic riding is to learn how to ride a horse, right? Right. What right. might the goals of hippotherapy be for our client? Oh, that's a great question. So I think like we just use a, a physical therapy, occupational therapy or speech therapy evaluation, just a regular tool, like an evaluative tool like we would in the clinic. So depending on what the person may be coming for, we're going to evaluate them both on the ground and in the saddle or on the horse um, while they're here just to make sure that we know or have a clear understanding of what their capabilities are, what their limitations are, and what their so we look at the problem list when they come and then develop a plan that can hopefully address that problem list. So there might be a person who comes who has, for instance, spastic quadriplegia and they have CP. And so their lower legs or their lower body could have spasticity. We would be able to treat that person, hopefully reduce tone in their lower body by putting them on a horse and using the movement to soften and release the tone. So that's kind of one of the goals is like working with the, each client independently, figuring out what their needs are, what their goals are, not not their personal goals necessarily, but, uh, but their, their therapy goals and try to develop a program that will help address those. Core strength is another really great one. Um, you know, lots of people come with low tone and difficulty mm -hmm. with core strength. And so um, obviously when you're placed on a three-dimensional moving object, the requirement of your body is to hold yourself in a, um, you know, kind of a hold, holding pattern or functional stable pattern while, while you're astride. And so that's another really strong goal for us is working on core strength and, um, and functional mobility. That's a great one. So making right. sure people can move in the way that they want to or can, are capable of moving. Right. Um, I know the the core strengthening is huge for, or was huge for Alexis, right? Um, yeah. Still is, like she's always working on it, but. Um, right. So how does hippotherapy work for people who are neurodiverse? That um, That is like one of the, my favorite um, talking points. <laughs> Hippotherapy is kind of magical for people who are neurodiverse. I would say that it's one of the tools that we can use outside of the clinic that really elicits the strongest response from clients as far as I've been able to see in my years of practice. One, because you're outdoors and you're kind of in this natural environment. So it's already inspirational to most of the riders. Two, they really want to communicate well with their horse partners, as well as the team of people that are out there helping volunteer in the in the sessions. And so you've already got two really great things going for you in terms of um, motivation. I think sometimes with neurodiversity, we're talking about people who are younger, mostly kids who are coming to hippotherapy and getting their involvement in a conventional setting can be pretty challenging. So they're coming to us already with like those two strikes in our favor. You know, they want to come, it's beautiful, and they get to be with a horse. So they don't even know they're in therapy half the time. You know, they're in their minds, they're basically coming to be with their horse, their horse friend. So that's amazing and works. The third way it helps is it really provides this beautiful three-dimensional <clears throat> input into the pelvis. And that kind of travels through the pelvis up into the spine and central nervous system via the spine. 
when a central nervous system is given this um, three-dimensional movement that it may not receive in other ways, maybe that person's in a wheelchair and doesn't have the ability to walk um, like Alexis. Maybe the person has a difficult um, time regulating behaviors because they need to move more or they need the feeling of movement more. When they get astride, this special movement and the way it affects the central nervous system really helps reorganize a person's kind of um, body. It softens and, and, and redirects um, both bad behaviors, and then it strengthens and tones parts of the body that haven't been able to do that in other ways. So it's very, very effective for all clients on the neural spectrum. And I would say um, one of the, uh, the most effective tools I found so far. And I get to take my hands off um, while they're on this three-dimensional tool slash animal. And I then can use my hands to elicit other things, like if they need stretching in their upper bodies or if they need some um, tone reduction in their head or neck or face, I can actually reach up and do those things while they're still astride and moving. Awesome. So how, um, I guess, like, oh, why is the movement specifically helpful for you know, you and I had talked about like people who are neuro, who are, um, have, um, autism, but like, I guess it can apply to anybody who's neurodiverse, right? So how does the movement help from the horse? It's that, um, it's the input to the central nervous system that I was talking about that helps mm -hmm. to regulate all the, um, the sensory stimuli that people are, um, feeling or, or fighting, or one or wondering where it is. Mm -hmm. So if a person is sensory averse and they don't like to be touched, but they're placed on a horse, they're getting neurological input and sensory input, whether or not they're actually reaching out to touch that thing through being up there and being astride. If they're sensory craving, which is another end of that spectrum of sensory sure. integration, they're getting their cravings met by this beautiful movement. And we can actually enhance that movement through increasing speed of the horse or changing directions frequently or causing the horse to do more, um, more advanced movements, say walk trot transitions or trot walk transitions. So the things that they're craving, they're able to get from the movement of the horse and that, and that kind of central nervous system function. Um, so what can you do? I mean, obviously it sounds like they're like, even if you can't touch them because they're just getting used to the movement of the horse, they have that, that, sensation at least right but like what else can you do on the horse that you can't do in a regular typical like pt office well i mean just think about the <clears throat> what's happening to the pelvis the whole time that they're up there i don't know another environment and or tool where i can place a client and elicit the kind of pelvic the dynamic pelvic the pelvic movement that I'm getting when I put them on a horse, um, other than maybe a physio ball, which is not easy to manage or manipulate with a person has tried it. And you'd have to use all of my physical skills to hold them on and manage the movement. Whereas if they're placed on a horse, they still get that beautiful wide base of support they get it in a way that's actually more stable than a physio ball, unless you've got like a, you know, a balance board for the physio ball. And then what 
point is the physio ball. It's on a balance board. So I feel like they're getting that movement and also they're getting the ability for me as a therapist to use my hands, um, my dynamic face, my voice, all the things I possibly can bring to a session um, without having to hold them physically onto the horse. For sure. Um, That makes a lot of sense. Um, What... um... What happens when they show up and they're like terrified of the horse? (laughs) (laughs) So that happens to a lot of our first time riders, obviously. It doesn't take long for a first time rider to become um, quickly comfortable with a horse. But if somebody comes and they don't want to get on, it's not like we're going to force them on to the horse. What we do is some dentaling. So we get them, if they're in a wheelchair, we can get their wheelchair on the ramp and bring the horse through and have them just be close and do some touching or some eye contact. We can have them reach out. We can have them even try sitting. If they don't want to walk, they don't have to walk. They can just sit and, and you know, kind of receive the, the warmth. And, you know, there's little bits of movement with just breathing, the horse breathing that they can begin to feel before we have to actually move out. But the nice thing also for most of our riders when they're scared because there's a whole team around them. So it's not like they're just up there by themselves. We have a person who's handling the horse, um, you know, so that we can elicit what we are hoping to elicit via asking the, the handler to, you know, track right or track left or do a circle or do a figure of eight. But then on the other side of the therapist and the other side of the horse is another volunteer entirely. So there's two people available to do kind of external stabilization. If a person's really nervous, we can make make sure that they're feeling comfortable before we move out. We can also do groundwork. I really feel like groundwork is just as an equally effective for some of our clients who are more fearful and, or who can't manage sitting astride for long periods of time. Right. So for people who aren't familiar with horses or, or riding, what would, what would groundwork include? Yeah, that would be like, you know, coming to the horse at the tie rail where they're getting groomed and doing some grooming activities with their horse, which is also a really beautiful way to make connection. They get to be close and kind of feel the horse energy. They also get to um, begin to learn what behaviors um, they need to um, exhibit so that the horse feels comfortable with them and vice versa. So there's like a mutual respect that's built when somebody comes and and does the work that it takes to get a horse ready. And I think horses do have a lot of respect for the folks who do their grooming and who do their tacking. So clients get a chance to do <clears throat> some of those things, even if they're not afraid, it's really important for them to kind of begin to do that within mm-hmm. sessions if it's something that they they desire. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's say somebody comes who is autistic, what would you expect as an outcome after one session compared to like an outcome after they've maybe had 10 sessions. Yeah, that's, um, that's something that we, we get to watch really regularly, especially with, um, new evaluations. So a new client comes, let's, um, give an example. They come and they are highly dysregulated. There's a lot of, um, unwanted kind of physical behaviors, maybe, um, some stimulant stems that they're, they're sensory stems that they're using that we don't want them to use or self um, harming behaviors where they're, they could be hitting, biting, slapping, 
um, when they arrive, maybe making really loud noises to give themselves some sense of calm, right? This is always what our kids who are sensory cravers are doing when they're doing these behaviors is trying to calm themselves mm -hmm. and managing all of the sensory um, input that's happening to them. So <clears throat> this person is not something that most people would say, oh, let's put them on a horse. This would be a great idea um, while they're making these behaviors to put them on a horse. But um, lo and behold, um, it is actually the best thing that they could have um, happen because once they're on and moving, that three-dimensional rocking, rhythmic, calming movement up, that comes up through their pelvis into their spine and brains and their central nervous system <clears throat> helps to um, kind of uh, reorganize or reintegrate all that's happening in their environment. And immediately, most of the time, immediately those bad or unwanted, I don't want to say bad, but unwanted behaviors begin to change. It doesn't necessarily um, reverse them completely, but you won't see nearly as many while they're astride. And then my question always for families is, I would love to hear or I would love to see this change, but I would love to hear from you in those 24 hours following your evaluation or following that first treatment and see if you noticed a change in your, in your child so that I know the next time you come, if there's something different that I need to try, or if there's something more that we need to do in order to uh, continue that upward progress in those um, kind of regulatory behaviors. So um, that's so just that's one, one session. session. Yeah. 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 So then... So then if we get that in one session, usually by the end of a 10 session, um, uh, 10, 10 treatments is usually one of our, our um, seasonal sessions. So we do right. four 10, 10 session treatments a year. Um, and in these 10 treatment sessions, there's usually a set of specific goals that we're trying to achieve with any one of our clients, um, for instance, um, less dysregulation in this patient, um, not only while astride, but in their other environments that are that it's necessary to have less of that with, like in school or at the dinner table or with friends. Um, and so I'm actually having conversations with clients and clients' parents all the time to find out if that in fact is actually happening. When they leave hippotherapy and the next day or subsequent days, yes, there is definitely change. I'm getting that from almost everyone when I ask that question. But whether or not that's carrying through a 10-week session is going to be up to const con continuity, consist consistency. Are we doing the same thing every week? Are their families doing kind of a similar thing with them um, to dysregulate when, um, when they're having these problems? Is there a way to dysregulate at home? Um, if that means like um, providing a sensory um, craving input, like if do they have swings, do they have um, places for their kids to go upside down, do they have opportunities for them to kind of do the same kinds of movements in their bodies? And if that is the case, and most often, yes, we're going to have really great outcomes where the client is starting to see some real change in how they are able to behave and regulate um, their behaviors in um, in more advanced settings like school and social, social situations. Right. What's the, um, what's the youngest child you would work with? So people frequently ask me that question because there are, there is this like, you know, the early intervention program through um, right. Imagine where there's like little babies being seen. And, um, and I will say that 
It's great to start as early as we can. And it's also really important to remember that as a, a, a young child, a baby slash toddler develops, they all develop at really different rates. So, so before we're really able to kind of pin a diagnosis on them or even a differential diagnosis, like say they are born with cerebral palsy, but before we say they're, you know, a spastic quad, it's really nice to say, let's watch them develop into at least their second year before we say, okay, this is the, these are the things that we're really going to need to address through their lives. So I usually say two is like my lowest, my youngest age. Two-year-olds can get on. They can, they're usually tall enough to get a little bit of their bodies on each side of the horse. Um, it would be funny to have like little like pegs sticking forward, but they, they usually can come down alongside the horse enough so that they can feel that input and we can see if it's going to make a change. And they're also an age that, you know, they're kind of, they're like going to take the influence of their care providers and their parents, regardless of how they're feeling, you know, they're just going to be thrown on anyway. So it's one of those things that um, we can start to elicit response and change in a really young child without them resisting too much is what I should say. Like a three or a four-year-old who might have a little bit more opinion around what their activities are could be a little bit harder to start than a two-year-old. So two is a great time. Cool. Um, And the oldest? I'm the oldest, honestly, I've had people in their seventies who've come to do awesome. I had a guy who had, had a guy who had a stroke and I had, I had a, another guy with a head injury and they were definitely out for, you know, neuro rehabilitation, working on strength in the side that was um, weakened, working on balance for, um, you know, for life. And I think strength and balance are both, you know, physically huge challenges after head injury of whatever type, if it's stroke or, or traumatic brain injury. So sure. both of those folks came out um, just to work on the same things as the kids are working on. But the nice thing about adults is that they're coming volitionally. <laughs> so they, they want to come and want to do the things that you say and don't have any hesitation or questions around the things we try. They just do them. Sure. And it's got to be so, I mean, who wouldn't rather be on horseback than like the stairs to nowhere? Exactly. Yeah. The stair supper. (laughs) (laughs) Or like parallel bars, you know, like it's, it's really nice to be able to work from your pelvis up rather than your feet up. You know, sometimes neuro rehabilitation is a lot of like balance work from the foot up. And, you know, we're not asking most people to stand, but we can also, you know, incorporate stirrups. So there is a ground force reaction and they can kind of start to feel what it feels like to put some weight and force into both of their feet. So that's also really powerful. Nice. Um, so your horses are all like pretty, pretty gentle, calm kind of horses. So it's like, where do you find those horses? And then what kind of training do you do for them? Yeah. Um, The hippotherapy horses that we have are all, it's very important to me as a provider and also as a horse person that the horses we have in program aren't quote unquote kind of end of life horses or another one that people use as bomb proof. (laughs) While I can see the appeal to having a bomb proof horse in a program, to me, a horse that still has kind of their mind around them and the ability to walk really beautifully is is extremely important, especially when we're trying to elicit responses in clients that depend on physical input. So if a horse is lame or really old 
or, you know, not super into it in their minds, they're not going to give us the movement that we're needing in order to have a good treatment session. So my horses in my program, while they tend to be on the older end of things, they're definitely mostly seniors, which is like, I would say 20 and older. There are a few teenagers, um, but they're mostly seniors. So they've seen a lot of things in their lives. They've definitely gotten a lot of life experience and all kinds of riding atmospheres, whether it be showing or dressage or working with kids or going on trails. And so these things in each of the horses kind of previous lives kind of collectively build um, a sound mind around hippotherapy. So if a person <laughs> recommends to me a horse, one of the first things I want to see is, do they have the mind for working in this um, environment? Even more so than necessarily their movement. I want to make sure that they're going to um, be calm, but not dead, quote unquote dead. <laughs> I want them to be calm without being really kind of slowed or, um, or checked out, I guess is the, is the other word. Right. Yeah, yeah. Checked out. So when I go to evaluate a horse, whether it be like a kid's going to college and they need to get rid of their horse or, Hey, this horse's partner just, um, just died and we don't want another one. Do you need a horse for your program? Those kinds of things happen pretty regularly. Um, and we don't take horses very regularly. So we go out and calls a lot to take a look and, and, um, both work with them from the ground and watch their response to our, um, to our questions to them, whether they be, you know, kind of movement questions or, Hey, how, how is your mind feeling around this stuff? And then if they pass those tests, then we get on and ride and feel what the movement feels like. And, you know, if a horse has a lot of movement, we have to consider is this big, big movement, something that our clients are going to be able to receive easily, or if it's not enough, can I elicit like more movement through driving them from the back end or, if, you know, asking for a little bit more under saddle? And if that's something I need to ask for, will my clients be able to ask for that? Realistically, probably no. So there's like a, a very small range of horses where their movement and their minds both meet um, the criteria. And then they come and stay with us for a bit. We take them on what I call a, um, <clears throat> like a 40 day loan. Mm -hmm. So most people know that when their horses come on loan, they're going to be trained in that 40 days and make sure that um, the horse is actually going to work in the program. So we'll, we'll bring them to the program, introduce them to the herd gently, slowly, make sure that they get along, bring them out into the arena, show them the games that we use, show them the tools that we like to use in, in our sessions and see if they... Um, they don't resist if they don't resist and, and seem to you know be unfazed by those things but interested then we get on and see if we can do it while they're walking and, and that's kind of the training and how it rolls if they end up graduating from that 40 days we keep them um, there's usually a great an agreement with their previous owners that if they need to be retired they kind of have the first right of refusal um and then oh no we lost her hopefully she'll be back I had more questions. <laughs> this might be the first time we added something. We'll see. Okay. Because um, I also have questions. For her? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what do you think so far? It's interesting. I like it. Yeah. You did some writing when you were I, younger. I don't think. Well, not there, but. Not there, but like normal writing and. um. Before diagnosis. Before diagnosis, but I wonder. I wonder if. Oh, I guess there would have been really no way to like. I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't think the first writing place, like, obviously, like, wasn't, no, that was a wasn't bad, very nice. No, and that was a bad was, place. Like, and then it made me, like, scared of them. So then the other people were, like, had to, like, fix it or whatever. Yeah. But, they were a little. Wonder, do you think she ever, like, goes up to cantering? Or do you think trotting's the fastest those horses ever go? Because you can't keep up with a cantering horse, can you? Not really. Oh, she's back. We oh. will ask. Okay. <laughs> and you're back. <laughs> well, her audio. There, now you're back. Sorry, that was so dumb. No worries. I, I went to hit end and hit end your call. <laughs> we, we, um, we winged it because that's what we Technology. Um, so um, I was going to ask. Um, we were just talking about the horses. Yeah, we were talking about the horses. You were telling us like how you train them and stuff. And yeah, yeah. you were saying like if they, oh, you were left off at like if they graduate Oh, if they graduate, if they graduate, we keep them, then we keep them with the understanding that if they need to retire, that that donor gets the first right of refusal if it's time for retirement, because maybe sometimes they've got an emotional attachment to the animal and they don't want to say goodbye entirely, but they want them to have a um, a job because all horses do better when they have a little work life. So if we decide that we're going to retire someone, um, we'll always call the original owner first and say, hey, we're about to retire this horse. Would you still like them? And or if not, we'll find them a nice place for retirement. So what's going to happen that's with not China? Like a, a, that's not a synonym to like, we like euthanize. We definitely find them like a nice place where there's pasture land and another horse and they can hang out and retire and not have to work. It's not a euphemism. We retire. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're not going to the glow factory. Um, so the horse Alexis has ridden most of her time with you has just yeah. retired. So is China going somewhere? She's not. We can't. We can't say goodbye to China. Oh. China's China's <laughs> gathering dust in that in quote unquote. unquote. Um, she's actually a, an amazing horse. She didn't ask to retire. We just felt so much like she deserved it because she's so old. She's twenty seven. So she um, she's done this work her whole life with us since she was twelve. I've had her. So she's wow. definitely been one of those very reliable, really solid very easy keepers, never gave us a problem. We never had to spend a lot of time or efforts with keeping her sound. She's just been a terrific, amazing horse. She loves the job. She really enjoys her clients, but we felt like the way she was being used because of all of those things was <laughs> excessive. And so in the past couple of years, we've kind of cut back on her work, her workload. But last year we decided we're really actually going to retire her, retire her. Now, like once in a while, if we get like a, like you said, like a two-year-old who comes to the program and well, we need to see how they're going to do. They we're have all well settled up for Alexis yesterday. So Alexis uh, has been using Robin, but yesterday she did get to use China. Use China. It, was, yeah. it was lovely. It was a nice little reunion. Yeah. Jennifer McNerney loves that horse. And, and there's no like, you know, it's not a surprise. Any of the, the therapists who come love, if they get a chance to use her, love using her because she's really responsive to the handler. Mm -hmm. She still does her job great. She still has pretty decent movement. She's a little pokey. But yeah, she did just kind of like decide well, to stop. <laughs> she's like, okay, we're going like, to rest hey, now. No, so they just did another activity, anymore. right? I mean, like, for sure. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, um, 
um, Paige had a question while we were waiting for you to return. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, actually, I have two questions. But um, so is trotting the fastest you, the horses do, or do you like canter or like jump? Obviously, we, you don't gallop, but right, right. We don't canter generally in hippotherapy. Mm-hmm primarily because it's not therapeutic riding. Now, if it were a therapeutic riding facility, we probably would would advance more of our stronger balanced riders toward cantering or cantering on a lead line. Um, It's just too hard to kind of manage physically for the sidewalkers. And most of our riders do have some kind of physical limitation or disability. So they need to be stabilized externally somehow. And it's just hard, too hard to manage with a canter. So very few of them actually do even trotting because it is also pretty bumpy and bouncy. And it also requires a lot of energy on the part of the sidewalkers and the horse. So we'll do trotting for short lengths of the arena, just so people can feel that input and get that kind of that sensory um, input and, and, a little bit of the proprioceptive input of what it's like in your body to move like that and move that fast. Um, but it's usually short lengths so that everyone can kind of recover, recover balance, recover our breath, kind of the horse gets to recover a little bit. And when a person without a lot of balance or core strength is trotting on a horse, they're really feeling the horse really feels that bounce versus a person moving with them. Yeah. So it's a it's a um, a challenge to the horses when we do a lot of trotting because they're getting that kind of a bump 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 bouncing mm-hmm. from a person who can't manage or regulate their physical body, right? They might love it and it might feel great and it might give them great joy, but it can't we can't do it for for long distances just to right. kind of protect the horse. Right. Okay. And then you said that there that uh, hippotherapy can be used for speech therapy. How does how does that work? Well, if I were a speech therapist, I'd be able to tell you more about oh. how it works. Oh. All I can do is tell you as a physical therapist, when we're working on language, I'm floored by the things that are possible with hippotherapy. I think part of it is um, relating to that central nervous system regulation that we talked about, which happens regardless of who's working, PTOT or speech. Um, that's happening in the client. And and with that regulation, there is less um, sensory experience to manage for a person who's trying to use their voice or trying to speak with words. Um, and that's one of the things that causes speech to be delayed or impaired is too much happening in the environment that a person can't regulate. So they have that taken away and they have this beautiful input happening movement wise into their body and this great sensory regulation in their central nervous system. They're also giving, given the opportunity to have increased respiratory capacity, which is something that I work on with a lot of my clients, just <clears throat> breath, breath work. And with this increased respiratory capacity, obviously there's more ability to vocalize. Um, the other things that are happening is when we turn a person sideways or backwards on the horse, um, this is a, what we call an around the world transition loosely. But when they're turning sideways or backwards, they're basically learning to regulate um, their body and in a changed vestibular context. So the vestibular system is a component of movement, um, the eyes and the inner ear. And so when the eyes and the inner ear and the body are moved in different directions, do they have the same sensation of being upright, 
do they have the understanding that they're backwards? And all those things are ways that we can challenge the body physically and elicit this really beautiful cognitive response. And so if you ask the speech therapists to tell you what's happening, they might give you a better answer. But all I can say is when I ask a person to say the words, walk on or woe to get their horse to go or stop, oftentimes they can't do it unless they're astride and moving. Okay. Which is pretty cool. I would even yeah. say I've seen like bigger changes in Alexis's vocabulary, yeah. even right because that vestibular system really is pretty blocked when you're in when a you're disabled. You're not yeah. getting a lot of well, and you're not getting a lot of rough play usually from your yeah. father, right? Because that the father does the rough play usually. Um, she got some, mm-hmm. um, but um but not as much. Right. And so she definitely had limited words. And I even remember like specifically you pointing out, like, even when Alexis was scared, she used the word ouch for like anything that hurt and any way that it hurt. Right. So even if it was like, yeah. Yeah. So that, that definitely like those words, like to the left or the right or behind or under, Right. Like those words, I think, really all developed from writing um, because she was weird, could physically really kind of see the differences. Right. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Are there any last thoughts or things that we didn't ask you that you wanted to to include? I will definitely include a link um, to your website. and then, um, yeah, I will say yeah. that if anyone's interested in, I would say always, I always plug opportunities. So if anyone who is a driving age or older would like to come and join us in class, we're always look for adult tears or, you know, young adults. Oh. the reason why we have that limitation as to um, our insurance. Okay. But um, even young people, if they want to come and mock stalls or, or so you're a little glitchy, offer volunteer time. So you're a little Sorry. glitchy, but I'm just going to repeat like driving age or older, always, always looking for volunteers. Please. Yes. And my phone number, which is um, not on the website. So my phone number is 720 323 3609. Awesome. So text or call, definitely yes. go out there. I mean, it's just one of my favorite places to be. The ranch is just calm and beautiful. And they you have lots of fuzzies besides just the horses. And it's sure. a wonderful place. Um, so um, thank you so, so much for coming yeah. on and chatting with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, you guys. It was good to talk to you. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Sounds good. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you wanted to coach with me, see my information at bigbangcoaching.net. If you are interested in emailing us, you can reach us at thendtoolbox at gmail.com. And if you wanted to see our website, please go to theneurodiversetoolbox.podbean.com. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Neurodiverse Toolbox.